Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Guglieri. Paul, here we are. We have stepped into July. We have had a uh, 4th of July, as it were, the Independence Day of America, the birthday of America. How did you handle that? How, what did you do? Oh, boy. You know, not what I thought. I mean, there was a time in my life where staying up late enjoying fireworks you were out the, by eight o'clock the <laughs> the 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 pomp and circumstance it's uh it's been replaced by fatherhood jason it's been mm. replaced by a toddler and uh an elementary school aged little ass occupying every waking moment so you know we do a it's kind of a cool little uh, gathering in the neighborhood it's a big oh. parade. Yeah, it's like a block really? party, basically. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's, you know, it's Los Angeles, but it feels like middle America or something. Mm. I mean, it, it's this little pocket. And uh, it's fascinating that the fire truck comes, the kids climb all really? over it. Yeah. Who organizes this? It, it's just a couple of homeowners in the area, and they just kind of shut the block down and hang a couple of banners and... Each block throws in a little something, something, and then there's free wow. hot dogs, and, and there's a pie eating contest. What? And, uh, there was I need to go DJ. to your neighborhood. It sounds like yeah, it, it's it's sublime, my friend. So you know yeah, how? we we've been we missed it last year, obviously. Right, but, right, right, sure. But uh, it was it was refreshing to have it back. It, that's the, that's something the opposite of of my neighborhood, where uh, the neighbors just yell at you for having your trees overgrow into the yard by an inch outstanding then, yeah it's real it's a real treat it's a real get off my lawn type of crowd yeah huh? <laughs> it's lovely you know your your situation reminds me of that episode of the simpsons uh in the summertime when otto drives the uh the pool truck up yeah and all the kids hop into the pool <laughs> truck and the, on the block and then he moves on to the next one well, well the funny thing is my first you you like this so this is actually podcast appropriate mm. so for those listening that are thinking will these guys just get on with the episode already hold on hold that thought my first year living in this neighborhood, my wife and I went to this block party. We didn't have children yet. And Dave Grohl showed up and he had this VW bus mm-hmm. and all the kids jumped into the back and the fire truck and Dave Grohl led a parade around the neighborhood with all the kids in the back of the VW bus. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty amazing, actually. Did you get to meet him? Yeah, he, he hung out there the whole day. That's so strange. Also, he's he lives in like Encino. So like, why is he uh, yeah. in the of the woods? I, I don't. He 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 knew somebody because there was a uh-huh. guy he was talking to for most of the Got occasion. It. So he he knew somebody in the area. But uh, yeah, I mean, the neighborhood I live in is. Uh, it's got a lot of lot of L.A. luminaries. I mean, mm. we've got some some Dodger players here and uh, a couple of other Hollywood and music personalities. You are so chic, Paul. Oh, I'd hardly say that. The chicest person in the neighborhood. <laughs> I might be the only Giants fan in the neighborhood, but oh, I, wear man. That, I wear that badge with honor. Oof. Ah, ooh. Well, moving on. Moving on. 
If you're a fan of this kind of content, please subscribe to our channel. (laughs) (laughs) Just talking about nonsense for the first four minutes. But seriously, we do talk about Pearl Jam, as you well know. Yes. uh, This episode, uh, what you should should be subscribing to, uh, is a show that is going to talk about, um, well, a few songs that you may have loved back in the day, but for some reason, don't like as much anymore. We don't want to say hate. No, that's too strong a word. Too strong a word. Um, We will also touch on, um, haven't done it in a while, uh, the Do the Evolution segment. This time around, we're going to talk about Jeremy and how that song has evolved over the years. Mm -hmm. And then we'll get into our live cut Nook of the Week, uh, which I think it has a bit of a, there's a a bit of a um, connection to the holiday we just passed here in America, 4th of July, Independence Day. Um, I watched uh, Independence Day the movie on Independence Day because it felt appropriate. Yeah. So. No argument for me there. Yeah. That that I said that you know apropos of nothing, but it felt like the right thing to say. For those of you outside of America, by the way, I, I if you have an Independence Day of sorts, then you'll know what this is all about. How we get down, food, family. I don't know. Fireworks are, are in your are in your thing there, but. Uh, we we like to blow up stuff as you <laughs> if, if you're foreign, you know that already. Sorry. Um moving on to our number one topic. Like I said, name three songs, Paul, that you used to really, really, really enjoy. And now mm, you don't. You don't. Um three songs. Three songs, yeah. Now to me, this means um songs that simply kind of lost their luster. Yeah. You don't hate them. No, not but at all. Just, the shine has worn off for some reason for you. I would say that the one that stands out the most for me is rats. Are oh, you going to start? You should go yeah, into it. I'm okay, jumping in. Rats, baby. Go. Rats. Okay, got it. So that that one automatically, when I first heard verses, that was a standout track to me. There's just something about that bass lick and uh, the way the drums pop in. It's just such a cool groove. Mm. Um, I liked the. The homage to Michael Jackson's song, you know, Ben, the two of us need look no more. And uh, now when I hear the song, it just feels, I guess the right word is dated. I was just going to say, is it dated? It just feels dated to me. Um, And not in a way that makes me want to skip over it, but it went from a song that I was really drawn to, to a song that I just kind of let play. You know, it's not something I seek out like I used to. And what's interesting about it is the the sentiment within the song, this idea that let's compare the human race with rodents, okay? Eddie was interviewed by Melody Maker many years ago, and he said that rats are probably a hell of a lot more admirable than people. <laughs> Jesus. And uh, which, I mean, clearly when this song was written in the early 90s, Eddie was an angrier young man. Mm. I think he had a far more jaded view of of a lot of things i think eddie's perspective has softened a bit you know changed i think he he tries to see the best as opposed to acknowledging the worst in human nature these days and i think as i've grown older i'm more inclined to do the same and so a song that has this and it's not a cynicism or pessimism that i feel alienated by it or it's just this mockery um i just don't feel the desire to do that anymore Hmm. i I find it to be deflating 
And so I think for the song to resonate with me, I'd have to get back to that place again where I just feel a certain degree of anger and hopelessness. Which, when it comes to climate control policy, I think that's that's, that's a nice way to kind of get me riled up a bit more and kind of thinking, my lord, what are we doing here? But um, all things considered, this is a song that just hasn't aged as well for me. I I understand what you're saying. Because when you first started, you know, and I thought of the word dated as soon as you said it, um, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I think there are some songs for me that um, I think the lyrics do that, where they have dated themselves a bit. And I think that holds very true for Eddie. Um, I mean, he's changed the lyrics in Leash, for example, delight in the truth, delight in the truth. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but for whatever reason, the music is still really, really cool. And so for that, I kind of let the lyrics kind of sink to the bottom of what I care about for the song. Mm-hmm. So for me, while I agree with the logic, I haven't gotten sick of rats also because of the novelty of it. You know, if it's I hear very it, rarely like, play, I, yeah. I, I may have heard that once, maybe. Um, and that would be uh, look, really if, cool. if I heard it in concert, I would be over the moon excited because like you said, it, it's a novelty. But in terms of my regular rotation sure. of Pearl Jam songs, it's a song that I don't get quite as jazzed up about as I used to. Well, that leads me to my first song choice here, and that is Habit. Oh, okay. Um, like many people, when No Code came out, I was not really a fan. I didn't get it. In fact, I think that's what uh, Pearl Jam wanted uh, of many of their fans. I think that they decided to make a that makes music completely for them, knowing that it would turn some people off. It wasn't nearly as accessible as their earlier. No, and, and, and their their take, you know, take some of the spotlight off of themselves. I think was the point of that record. I think we've established that. Uh, I think everyone's established that to some varying degrees. Um, but unlike many fans who were turned off by No Code, um, I was very young and still very impressionable in my musical journey. I, I was 14 when this record came out. Other bands of the time that I was listening to. That I was really, really into Metallica, Green Day, Rage Against the Machine, Alice in Chains, Megadeth, etc., etc. And so an album as cerebral and emotionally mature as No Code, it, you know, it had no place in my collection. It didn't make any sense to me. And why should it? I'm 14. Like, this stuff doesn't... A lullaby song? Yeah, that, that doesn't make any... What do I care? Um, <laughs> so from a purely musical standpoint... Habit was one of the few songs on the record that actually did anything for me. It was loud. It was raucous. You know, uh, it was it had it was a hard rocker with angst. Um, I didn't really pay much attention to the lyrics aside from the chorus and the quietly spoken speaking as a child in the nineties. So <laughs> now, now, well, it's a, it's a fun ditty to hear every once in a while, but it's definitely a song I don't search out. In fact, you know, if I hear it at Ohana in September. I'll be jumping up and down, singing along, but I'll also think, hmm, you know, only so many songs to sing, to, to play at a concert, and, you know, there are better ones than this one. Like, it would have been cool to hear another one. <laughs> um, and the subject matter is interesting, too, considering that the backstory, but you know, I, I don't personally know anyone that fits this protagonist, so it doesn't even really hit home um, to me in that way. Uh, and musically, it's fairly simple, almost pedestrian. It's almost like they kind of got through two minutes and we're like, uh, all right, where do we go from here? Jam out? Cool. Okay. So is it fun? Yes. 
Will I jump along and sing along to it if I hear it in concert? Absolutely. Is it four minutes that could be used better uh, by another song uh, in the catalog? Yes. Totally get that argument. Is I'm with your, you. Is I, it in I, your it, three? No, because when No Code came out, I really liked the eclectic nature of it. Ah. Um, I wouldn't say it was my favorite album. It definitely was nowhere near as accessible as Vitology and, and the ones that preceded No Code. However, songs like In My Tree, um, you know, uh, Who You Are, I mean, these are songs that spoke to me at the time. Uh, other tracks like Around the Bend, it took a while for me yeah, to sure, get around sure. to, and, and we've talked about that, but uh, a song like Habit never really grabbed me. So for you, the out of the gate, like there are some songs that we've talked about before. We had, I think, we had a show about songs that you just don't have never gotten on with. Yeah, and that—that's one of them. That yeah. no matter how hard I try, I just it never kind of gets beyond that meh stage for me. I hear you, and, and I think I would agree, except for at the time, it was one of like two songs in the album that were that really rocking. hit. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, this is the Pearl Jam that I'm aware of. Like it wasn't nearly as good as like Even Flow or Live or Go or whatever, but. But it was hard. It hit you in the face. It was dropped to you. I'm like, all right. It's screaming. It's yeah. like completely. It, it, and the other songs in the album, kind of by contrast, made it seem that much more rocking. You know. Well, I should have known that. I mean, I'm the type of listener that a song like "In My Tree" comes out, and I think, oh, this is fantastic. Nothing like they had really done before. You know, or the world beats that you get with who you are, and. No surprise, Dance of the Clairvoyance comes out and I'm like giddy over it. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, there's something about the band taking risks and experimenting and trying new things that yeah. I'm drawn to. I think that if they were just playing the same stuff over and over and over again, first of all, they just, they're, they're older. You know, they don't, Eddie can't sing the way he used to. So I, I don't sure. really want to hear that same sound anymore. But in any case, I totally feel you on, uh, on that viewpoint for habit. So then what's your uh, what's your second song here? Uh, I'm going to go with Green Disease and it, it hurts ah. to say it because it it's not a song I dislike. I really think it's it's a really cool song actually and I love the lyrical content of the song. However, I really had a hard time with Riot Act when it came out. Um, it was by far for me upon first listen the most disappointing experience yeah. I had. Um, and which isn't fair to the album or it's the band. But a lot of people thought that. But like, a lot of people thought that. I, yeah. I mean, I think if you ask most Pearl Jam fans to rank their favorite Pearl Jam albums, this is an album that is commonly falling in the bottom third. You know what I mean? And do, you so, think, do you think that going from Yield to Binaural was a closer separation than going from Binaural to Riot Act? No. I, had, I mean, Binaural... I had high expectations for Binaural. I just thought visually, the packaging... I was really excited about it. And... I mean, stylistically... Yeah, but that album just did not work for me. Um, and so I think when Riot Act came out, I was hoping it was going to be a rebound. I needed oh, a rebound. I see. And and it, it wasn't for me. And uh, and I really started to get concerned, you know, about like, where's this band going? And, and hmm. you know, is it... But that being said, though, I mean, I've come around on both albums in a big way. This album, Riot Act, my favorite two songs on the album were you are and green disease and as i've aged and listened to the album more and i've sat with it and it, it's become an album that i've had an opportunity to really explore and mine the depths of and retrack and retrack right <laughs> which we just did last week i now have a greater level of appreciation for so many more songs on the album yeah and i think that as my bandwidth has expanded 
for really accessing and appreciating some of these other songs like Ghost and Crop Duster and uh, Thumbing My Way and you know, a whole host of other tracks. I no longer see Green Disease as a standout track. It's no longer this track that, you know, it's one of the two gems on a, what had been an otherwise very disappointing album. Now I find it to be a really interesting art rock album that actually, and I made this argument last week, I, I could see the argument for making it into a double album. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I feel as though a song like Green Disease, it, it's no longer a highlight on the album for me. And so in that respect, I think it fit the paradigm of what we're talking about today, which mm -hmm. is, you know, what's a song that you used to really, really like that maybe doesn't hold the same luster anymore. And so a little bit of the luster has kind of come off the song for me. In no way does that suggest I don't think it's a good track or I don't enjoy it, but it's not like one of my favorite songs on the album like it was when it first came out. I mean, I'd rather hear Crop Duster and Ghost than I would Green Disease at this point, which sounds strange to say, but... Yeah, I mean, I'll say that uh, it's not on my three here, but uh, if you listen to last week's show, uh, spoiler alert, I did not include it in my retracking of the album. It was, it yeah. was considered a B-side for me. And, and that is part and parcel to the fact that, like you at the time, it was one of the rare upbeat tracks it was i don't want to know if you want to call it the dad punk song of the album but it, it was it was upbeat it had that met you know right. bass drum thing going on i like the, the clean sound of it too yeah it was just it was pretty rocking um and the, the whole thing about you know anti super rich people and the greed thing and like yeah. dude i actually had the um green disease t-shirt the little nice. green the little green skull right i had that um so that, that totally spoke to me as you know i was in college when that album came out and i was like i, I was starting to piece together this whole like yeah what the fuck is this with with an equality bullshit like <laughs> and so it totally spoke to me at the time and it was upbeat had a bit of a, a punk feel to it but now i still appreciate all that sentiment but it doesn't fit um like it did and no, well, there are songs later on in the catalog that I think touch on these themes and motifs in much better ways. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I agree with you. Um, didn't quite make my three, but it's it's certainly on its way there, at least. So uh, good shout, good shout. This one, I'm, I'm curious to see where you land on this. Um, I know that our friend Stip would disagree with me, and that is Comatose. Oh, God. So in similar fashion to Habit, when this album came out, I really enjoyed the song because it was a fast, hard rocking song. Usually if I hear it or hear that, I should say that style of music, even today, I'm going to like it out of the gate. That's just how I'm wired, man. That's that's the music that I really fell in love with. I mean, Jeremy, hard rocking out uh, song on a hard rocking album, listening to Green Day and Metallica and all those guys, Zeppelin, eventually Tool. You know, that's where I tend to gravitate towards so it seemed very obvious right um but the problem is is it's kind of a one-dimensional song and it's in its sonics um i mentioned dad punk a moment ago i can see that for this as well i used to actually listen to it and love that simple punk vibe and it has like those harmonized guitar solos in the bridge it has that bass melting mic solo which is it, it's fucking awesome um but the more i listen to it the more i don't like how ed sings it uh, to your point um because you mentioned that before and the more I think he's reaching when it comes to the imagery he's using to make his point, presumably about politicians and the process by which citizens participate in lawmaking, it's like, man, it, it's hard to be clever 
and deep in a punk song. And, and while I wouldn't kick it out of bed or be pissed, you know, if they play it live at a show, you know, it's definitely a song that lives closer to Olay than Alive for me. Let's put it that way. Mm. Do you have any kind of comment on that song? <laughs> I, I, I do. Is it another one that, it, that I that I that you just didn't like out of the gate? No, actually, um, it, it's my number one here as well. Oh, great! Uh, which, which is which is it's yeah, it's a perfect segue because this is a That's song. Intriguing, that, interesting. Wow. Well, I could go with this or Gone, and I'll, I'll get to Gone in a second. But when I first heard this album, it really felt like, and I hate using this expression, a return to form, mm-hmm. which is what I, I have found is repeated often in reviews of Pearl Jam albums sure. every time they come out. This is a return to form. It's like none of these albums are a return to form. Everyone is an evolution of that form. But that being said, I, I listened to this album for, for the first time. And I fell in love with the sound. I thought, it, I mean, it, in retrospect, that the Brendan O'Brien mix is far yeah, superior to me. Exactly. But when I first heard it, it was loud to the point where I felt like it was almost pushing, it was straining mm-hmm. the speakers. Even if you turn the volume down, it didn't matter. <laughs> but Comatose had that, like you said, it was pulsating, it was hard, it was just a really, really cool rocker. And now the way he sings, it just grates on me. It just, it feels like, and I've, I've said this in the past, it feels like he just smokes like four packs of cigarettes before he jumps into the booth for this one. It's just blood curdling at times. And it's, I, I can't get with it anymore. Uh, there are some live versions of it that I like just because it just, it just sounds cleaner. You know what I mean? There's a, he opens up his throat a bit more when he's singing Um this particular track, though, I, I feel the same way. It's a song that when I first heard it, I thought it was it was one of the highlights of the album. Musically, I loved it. And then yeah. over time, like you said, sonically, it, it, I don't want to call it redundant, but it, it doesn't have that much innovation to it. And it, the way he sings the song, unfortunately, at least on the album cut, it no longer really, really sits well with me. And so it's not a song I skip necessarily, but... It's definitely a song that makes me wince from time to time. <laughs> There's a grimace yeah. here and there. Um, and look, I mean, y- you think about a song like uh, like Whipping. Um, there's something about these sentiments that, that Pearl Jam does well, these political sentiments. This song very much captures that feeling that Whipping does in a lot of ways. But, but Whipping does it so much better. Whipping yeah. is literally like proper just chords not power chords just regular chords repeated four of them over and over and over again and but the thing is is that what they're talking about there kind of lives in the same ballpark as this theme but that one is so um this this political indifference and and just feeling complacent and and not really but that theme it, it fits whipping's music better because the way whipping is, it feels like you're driving one of those golf carts with, with the governor turned off and to the point mm-hmm. where it's going too fast for the frame and chassis of the thing and starting to shake right. and like, is this thing going to fall That's apart? Great analogy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's, it's whipping almost wants to fall apart throughout when you're playing it. It's just so over the place, but it stays together enough, you know? And so it, that works with the theme of, 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 of it. Whereas this one just feels too perfectly polished in that thrash kind of punk thing just too clean i don't know maybe i'm overthinking it no i mean look it we, we both have it on our list so yeah. that, that's that says something I, i'm I gonna suppose. i'm gonna blow some minds here with my with my i think with my number one pick 
And I'm going to, I'm going to wait for the gasps. Okay. You're going to go with, is this a live even flow? What is this? Close. Ooh. Elderly woman behind the counter in a small town. Longest titled in the Pearl Jam catalog. Thank you. Eleven two looks. Yeah. Fast. Um, this song. Yes. I heard the gasps. This song. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get killed um, for this, but it's mainly because I've heard it too much. And you're going to say, well, you know, but what about all the hits off of 10 or Better Man or Quarter or Evolution? Yeah, okay. I get that. But therein lies the problem with Elegant Woman. It's almost too poppy, almost too sing-songy. It's too nice. It's too nice. Every time I've seen it live, the last few tours, I'm just like, all right, here we go. When I hear those first few couple of words, one, two, three, four. Like, even, even how Ed says that, it's like, he's like, we gotta do this. It's a it's a chore. One, two, three, one, two, three. <laughs> ah, it's like okay, you don't have to play the song yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, so, it, it the, the way it performs, the way the band performs, it, it's it sounds like the band just feels obligated to play it. Whereas, you know, the, the Better Man argument, I feel like they're having a good time performing it still. That's the difference between those two songs for me. I think this is a really personal thing for me too, because. And I understand many will think I'm crazy, but it's it's a lovely story. It's a lovely, simple pop chord progression. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when something is simple and poppy and you've heard it too much and it doesn't feel like the band cares about playing it all that much anymore, it starts to become a little vanilla. Um, and, you know, there's a reason a lot of pop music feels like it's very disposable. And there's a degree of that to this song for me. Just a little bit. Just enough to take the shine off um and again i will absolutely sing along to this whenever i hear it live um but i'm at the point with it where it's taking a valuable set list time for something better so here's a quick follow-up and it just gut reaction okay i'm gonna give you five seconds to answer this okay what is one track of gigaton that you are worried will end up on a list like this one day that i'm worried will end up on a list like that that might end up on a list like this um I could see, I could see Super Blood Wolfman doing that. Maybe huh. in time. Maybe maybe in time. Um, that's tough. I mean, I'm pretty. We we did like the year later. We, we, we review, did right. And we did. my grades weren't too far off. Only a couple of songs had slightly improved. I think one might maybe slightly took a hit, but. I mean, my tastes now are pretty kind of locked in. I, yeah. think, I've, I think I've gotten to a point in my emotional and uh, uh, intellectual maturity to like kind of know what it is that I'm looking for. So that's hard for some music that came out. What, what would you say? A quick escape. And, and I, I, I actually this. almost said that. Yeah, I, and I mentioned this when we talked about our year later retrospective of gigaton when i first heard this song i thought it was one of the best things they'd ever done in terms of like a hard just great Mm -hmm. rock and roll song i mean it had it had everything of what makes 70s classic rock awesome i mean it felt like something straight off the who's who's next or something i Mm -hmm. gave it a five and now i I think on the retrack or not the retrack the the retrospective i think i I gave it a four or something like that or four and a half just, just slightly every time i hear it I don't, it's just, it's still, it feels like it lost a little bit for me. I don't know what it is about the song and, and I'll have to See, keep sitting with it, but it's, it's something about the, the vocal delivery 
and um, the, there, there's an effect with the opening riff that I think live that won't be there. And I think I'll actually prefer the song. It's one of those songs I can already tell I'm going to really enjoy live. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Because our our friends at black circle did this song unplugged. Right. And it, it, there's a, there's a dynamic in the song. I feel like it's pigeonholed. Like it will always sound best which is bizarre for me to say, cause I've never heard it this way, <laughs> but uh, I feel like it's always going to sound best live without any, you know, theatrics around it and any, any loop pedals and any, any funniness. And if you try to do it unplugged or you listen to it on the album with all the it's same thing with infallible infallible, there's just too much production on it. Yeah. I feel like there's just too much production on the song. I feel like it needs to be, there, these couple couple layers need to be shaved off, and I think the song would fit better. But there's just a lot of production on it, and I think the production, to me, it really it it, it takes away from the substance of the song musically. And uh, every time I listen to it, there's a part of me that's like, God, I wish they take these these couple things off. Uh, I have two points there, though. Okay. So one is um, part of the reason why I feel the way I do about. Um, two of my songs, one and a half of the songs is based on live performances. Mm. And so hearing things so often, or, or even if I hear them, um, rarely I'm reminded of, and I'm like, that's cool that they played it, but like, isn't there another song? So there's that. So I wonder what, how that plays into, you know, hearing quick escape a bunch of times, is that going to wear thin or is it going to be the infallible approach? It's like, no, 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 this is, I'd rather hear this. Um, and the other point about overproduction, you can make the argument that the entire album was overproduced. Sure. So, like, if you or if you're into that kind of thing, and you like that they took the chance to go down that more produced uh, rabbit hole with Josh, but, then cool. Because if it was Brendan O'Brien doing the album, it wouldn't have sound like that. It, it would be no, it wouldn't have. But I mean, there there are songs where I think it works. I love I love the production on Super Blood Wolfman. Obviously, I love it on Dance of the Clairvoyance. Um, I really really enjoyed it on on other songs as well, but there's something about quick escape that I just, I, I wish it wasn't quite as produced as it was. And I, I feel like I need to hear how they play it live for me to really confirm this or not, but it strikes me as the type of song like infallible that I'm most likely going to like live more than I will both on album. And if they ever do it unplugged, and that's not a slight towards, you know, the song or, or black circles rendition or anything like that. Sometimes it's it's the way a song is constructed. How will you feel if they go? uh, I I think it's a modern approach, but it probably isn't. How would you feel if they start playing these songs with a, not a click track, but like they add the extra, extra production stuff on a track and add it. You need that. Like for example, slide of hand, I think suffers live because it's missing that production. Um, but those were those were all like guitar takes like that that's all like organic it's not like they're adding a whole bunch of filters and like samples and shit in post correct that's a different thing like that like the digital hi-hat on top of matt's dry drums and clairvoyance right. like, but a song like all right is another one that i think benefits from oh absolutely and like you know? think, think about uh, seven o'clock how are they gonna do those those synth swells is all is all of a sudden they're gonna get like a big korg over to uh boom like hey play some synths like, how is he going to get... Maybe it's just clean piano. I'd be interested in that. Maybe a little I mean, sustain these, these are on questions I, we're going to get answered very we are, soon, guys. But, like, 
that that does play into this this conversation a little bit good and conversation it's, it, it, it's a fascinating part of the band because so much of what they do they do to play live whereas mm-hmm. you take a, i mean i've been listening to the beatles a lot recently and basically everything from revolver on they knew they weren't going to play live again they just they retired from touring yeah and so they just went completely off the rails with experimenting with sounds i mean uh, you know if you read the the research and the writing that's been done on Revolver, there's so much about how they, they didn't want any instrument to sound like the actual instrument. They wanted hmm. everything to sound different. They, they would record a song, then they wanted to hear what it sounded like play backwards. I mean, it was just an obsession with finding something different, exploring sound. And I, I see Pearl Jam experimenting with sound, but I still feel that it's tethered to how will this sound live and, and yeah. can we do this live? And so that's what makes it so interesting in terms of their process, you know? It's also exciting too because if you, if you don't like the more produced sound, then it's very intriguing how they can adapt it. That, that's where I'm living at least. Yeah. But and only only time will tell if that will help or hurt a song. And if it helps a song, then you're gonna go back to the album and be like, "Oh yeah, Quick Escape is not aging the way I wanted it to," or mm-hmm. something else. We'll see. I don't know. We will see. Um, any anything else you want to mention before we move on? No, I mean th- those are the the three that really stood out for me. Uh, fascinated by your your elderly woman take. I I do see the argument though that it, you're not suggesting the band's phoning it in, but you don't see or feel the same enthusiasm whenever they play it that maybe right. you do with a song like Better Man's Yeah, yeah it's it's a defensible take. I'll give you that. Oh, wow, okay, <laughs> being nice. Uh, I will say that. Um, a song that was venturing towards this that I'm not going to say is there is not for you for me. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm not there, there t- with that. There are one, times but. when I'm like, okay, because it, it's very, it's kind of, it lives in a very monotonous world, which, uh, yeah, it does. which is great. Again, live. It's, it, it, it's great. But sometimes I'm just like, okay, this, that beat. And then the three chords. Okay. But not there, not there. Don't at me just yet, guys. All right, let's move on to our next segment, Do the Evolution. Paul, do the evolution this week. We're gonna we're gonna tackle a big boy, and that's Jeremy. Um, I think a lot of you know where we're gonna go with this, and it's mm-hmm. more about um, not so much the timeline, which I'm going to kind of try and break down a little bit, but why we think the band did what they did and have since um, kind of gone back and how this song has kind of changed its tone over the years. So, you know, pretty much um, they played this song pretty much to the album uh, for the first five years of its existence. And then June 20th, 1995 happened. No Jeremy, as it's affectionately called, a reinterpretation of the song that arguably made the band happens at Red Rocks in Morrison, Colorado. Now, Jeremy was nominated or won a number of awards, including the 1993 MTV Video Music Award of the Year, um, two Grammys in the same year as well, 
it was literally everywhere. I mean, this is the reason why I fell in love with the band. This is the song that blew them up in the summer of 92. We've been over this. Mm-hmm. How could this band play arguably their most important song any differently? And yet, June 20th, 1995, at Red Rocks, um, it was the first of five performances of this rearranged Jeremy. For me, it's more modest, it's understated, it's powerful in its subtleties. And I suppose any band could get sick of a song they've played a few hundred times to that point. And so for four nights in the summer of 95 and one random night in 1996, the band played what we know as No Jeremy. Now, the question I I posed to you, Paul, is why? Why do they do this? I suspect it's one of two reasons. Either A, the band, they were very much counterculture. I mean, it, it, it was a reaction to becoming the biggest band in the world, which I don't think is ever something that anyone other than their drummer wanted <laughs> at the time. <laughs> Mike McCready uh, to a smaller extent. Sure, to a, to a smaller extent. And ultimately, you see this backlash to a song that made them in many respects. And to basically say, yeah, we'll, we'll play Jeremy, but we're, this is how we're going to play it now. Or this is how we're going to play it for you. It was, was in many ways, it was not an F you to the crowd or anything like that. But I do think in many ways it was a reaction, um, an overcorrection of sorts mm. to what they felt had been a response to a song that I don't think they ever envisioned would be created by that track. I mean, I... There's a real strong statement being made with an even more controversial and strong video that accompanied it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, when you really think about the legacy of this song, I mean, it, I don't want to say it glorifies an act like that, but in many ways, I mean, that you could make the argument that there, it certainly heightens the attention drawn to something like that. And the whole point of the song was to... Was to approach it from more of a diminutive stance, to, to basically say that you, you're not immortalizing yourself like this. You're not going to be remembered for what you think you will. And and I think that in, in some ways the song was remembered, but but more for, for its it being a hit as opposed to it being this, this deep statement. It's not like the band was being invited on all kinds of talk shows to talk about this issue as much as it was. Yeah. you know. And I think that there was some type of a reaction to that as a band that said, man, here we put this song together and we're making this great statement, or so we felt. And instead of it being a conversation piece that we get to be a part of, and we're being acknowledged for help helping elevate amongst the community, it's just a song that people appreciate because it rocks and it's got a really controversial video. Yeah. And and I don't think that was what they hoped they would achieve with the song. So then hold on, before you continue, to your point about a hard rocking song that kicked ass, about a controversial and serious topic why didn't they do this same um reinterpretation of even flow well also a very important social issue i think with jeremy there's there's something about i mean it, that's an interesting point because i mean even flow almost became like a, a frat boy anthem mm-hmm. at that time and it is <laughs> i mean how many people were just unbelievably drunk hammering over this song had no idea what the heck it was about <laughs> it's just literally like you just it's all about my even flow man like you just gotta get into your even, even flow like, is fucking beer through this phone yeah. bro <laughs> it's like 
that's not what the song's about. (laughs) So it's a very good question and it's an excellent counterpoint to to my uh, hypothesis, I guess, my conjecture, because that's all, all any of this is really. That's hard to answer. I don't know why they were willing to do this with Jeremy other than I don't think even Flo was quite as big in terms of, of it being an iconic pop culture reference right. as Jeremy was. Um, it, it didn't have the same crossover appeal, even Flo, that Jeremy did when you start looking at the, the demographics that, I mean, everybody says even Flo was the frat boy anthem. Yeah. I mean, my wife loved Jeremy. It was her favorite song. I mean, it, it, that yeah. was a song that I think cut through. It transcended everything. It, it had really, really video. did. It was everywhere. Yeah. It was everywhere. You know? So I, mean, I, I was, get it, but I wanted to pose a question because to your logic, it, it makes sense that- why It's a good it one. Yeah. It's a good question. So that that's the first possibility. The other possibility I think was, and you mentioned this before, there's a certain subtlety to it. I almost wonder if they wanted to just kind of reinvent the song a little bit in a way that just, allowed us to just reflect with it a bit more um and and Mm. i think that it was the inhabiting of that voice over time as a band that they they just needed to kind of re re communicate that in a different way and so sometimes that's necessary to just say hey you know what like you said we played this thing i don't know how many times at this point in time i've just been kind of fooling around with it tinkering away Mm. what if we played it like this tonight yeah the fact that they haven't done it much since tells me that it was it was a phase it really was just 25 they were years toying. yeah they just you know, they, i think they were most likely it, it, the answer is b which is they were just toying around with it at the time and uh you know well i mean since then like i said 25 years since they put it this way um and they went back to uh later later 95 they went back to it aside from that one that one moment in 96 um eventually they did um, in seeming randomly, seemingly randomly, um, Ed would start to not sing the first chorus of the song. He would just hold that note throughout, which I thought was very strange. And I, I don't know what that means. Does it mean anything? Could it be just that it's it's a hard song to sing? <laughs> he just, yeah, or, or is there a thematic reason? Like, does 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 not singing the first chorus like is that a point being made about gun violence today? And that's like he's taking a break of I don't know. But he did it for a while, and then they kind of went back to doing it normally. And for for me today, the song resembles Alive in a lot of ways, where the crowd is as much a part of the performance as the band is. Um, part of that, which in turn is, changes, I think, the meaning, right? Exactly. So part of that, I think, is due to the fact that it's difficult to sing. Uh, I mean, Ed asks the crowd to kind of sing those last few um, things, uh, but part of it, I think, is just pure energy. Uh, so my last question to you is how do you view this song now versus when you first heard it? Well, sadly, these types of incidents have only increased across America, not decreased. Mm. So I find the song to be more relevant today than it was then. And I wish that it was featured more as a conversation starter I loved, uh, who was it that just covered, uh, daughter? Um, Oh, uh, this. uh, Nancy Wilson, Nancy Wilson. Right. And and she had mentioned how the song was just a a, a perfect articulation of this issue. And, Mm. and, uh, 
And I thought it was a wonderful inclusion into the film and, and it accompanied the message of the film beautifully. And I don't feel like I, I, it's almost like Jeremy's too big of a song for that. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost too big for its britches in the sense that you can't do a documentary about Sandy Hook or about any of these types like of things. It's incidents. too on the nose. It's, it's too on, it's just too big. It almost feels yeah. like a cliche or that it over, it overshadows from a media perspective what the issue is really about. When in, in fact, I think it's one of the greatest expressions of, of the angst and the anger and the confusion and the rage and, and yeah. the, uh, the, the, the sad reality of how the motive behind why someone would do this is, is it's not misunderstood, but it's incredibly misguided. And that's all I can think of. I mean, it, it so does that mean you, you feel the song is more powerful today than it was then? I think that it, it should be. And when I hear it on my own, just in my car or at home or whatever, it feels that way. But like, let's say I was making a presentation or I was having a discussion with a group of people about this and I, I decided to use the song to help illustrate the point. I would be, I would feel some degree of reservation only because I would feel as though the song is, is, is too, on, like you said, on the nose or it's too much of a, a fragment or an artifact of pop culture to, to, to hold the same degree of relevance to those who are listening to it. Like they wouldn't hear the message. They just hear Pearl Jam. You know what I mean? Oh, that's mm. that Pearl Jam song from the 90s. Yeah. I mean, when in fact, it, yeah. it, it's, that's not it for me, you know? So it's, I mean, that's why people, why do you think a 10 year old Jason would latch on to a song about gun violence and a kid committing suicide? You know? Right. Because uh, the music fucking kicked ass. That's it, why. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's an outstanding composition and it, it I don't want to say it distracts from the message, but sometimes, like like I said, it it just becomes such a, a huge part of the fabric of, of pop culture that it's really hard to separate it from that. Well, you know what? Here's what I'll say about it then is from time to time, I will go about town wearing my Pearl Jam Choices t-shirt, huh. which if you don't know, has the cover of the Jeremy single on it with a little girl huh. deciding whether to pick up a Crayola crayon or a gun and on the back it says was it 9 out of 10 kids prefer crayons to guns or something like that Yeah. Um, and I do it because partially because I want to support the, I like to showcase that I'm a fan of the band but mostly because I'm making a, a point I like to remind people around town like hey this is still an issue remember that band, band Pearl Jam they had a pretty important yeah. song about this I don't know if you recall so like I think of this song as like an ever present thing in our society. So I view it as important today as, yeah, as ever. It's just as pressing as Which it is was depressing, then. but like yeah. I, I, I think of the song so strongly because of how important it is even today. Yeah. Just as salient, just yep. as poignant. And I mean it's the, the pop culture nature of the song should not distract from what the song Absolutely was not. intended to, to, to say. Let's move on to our lyric of the week. Well, this week we're going back to avocado. We're going with worldwide suicide. Now 
going to leave this thing off, Paul. I've got a bevy of notes here. And cool. I'm just going to have you tell me why all my notes are stupid <laughs> or why they're amazing. So, you know, I, I well, we, we like to alternate lyric choices every week. This week, it was your choice. Um, you chose these. And I have to assume to some degree that they were um, chosen in part to the holiday we just had, um, July 4th. Uh, and if our international listeners, like I said, that's the U.S. Um, U.S.'s Independence Day uh, birthday, as it were, as it were, July fourth, seventeen seventy six. We're a very young country um, by other standards, um, and you know, it's a day to relax. It's a day for friends and family, and thinking about the positive things that this country stands for. And I would hope that everyone does do that because there are positives. Uh, we don't want to always slag them off uh, in this country, but. Um, I think anyone would enjoy their, their country's Independence Day um, should they have one. And I think it's it's good to feel pride in your country, even if it's a completely arbitrary thing that you were, you know, you happen to be born in a certain country. Like patriotism is a funny thing like that. Like you won a lottery by living or being born in a country that is freer than another one. You know, I don't want to name names, but like, you know what I'm talking about. There are some people, at least in our country, who feel like they deserve more ownership of the national pride, that they are the quote real Americans, whatever the hell that means. And I, I think something many Americans feel frustration over is unabashed, total unbiased national pride that a segment of the conservative part of this country espouses. They always talk about the other in quotes. Uh, the mm-hmm. other is what those people refer to as everyone else. Um, surprise, surprise. It's generally white Christians who fall in this category, um, the ones espousing, I should, I should specify. Not all, but, but most. So how does all of this kind of fit into the lyrics? Well, as we pass Memorial Day, and as, you know, honoring those who have died serving this country's military, uh, and into the country's birthday, I'm reminded of those who claim to love this country more than others, and yet the people who they choose to deify in government commit the sins of this song more than the other side. Contradiction? Hypocrisy? No, Paul. It wouldn't be <laughs> that. Well, for me, you know, it doesn't matter who's in charge. If you make a decision to put our military members in harm's way, you better have the best possible reason and you better support them. You know, when they accomplish their goals and minimize casualties, especially civilians, you ought to honor those people. I have a real problem, though, with deadbeat politicians who say one thing and do Another, especially when it comes to people willing to die for our country, it is an absolute slap in the face. Um, We're not going to relitigate the last four years, but there was a lot of that bullshit. Um, And when the truth is slapping all of us in the face and they continue to sell us bullshit and denigrate the people who protect us at the same time, it's really one of the more embarrassing moments for the citizenry. Now, Joe Biden has not been in office long enough for me uh, and the jury is still kind of out on his foreign policy endeavors, kind of. We're, we're, we're inching our way toward that. But I'll be happy to judge him harshly as time lapses. But too many politicians have been on their soapbox over the last couple of decades, just to be brief, and, and told us you know, the same lie in the face of the truth. And as the world continues to melt from climate change, as you brought up before, and those same people deny its existence, let alone act in a way to help mitigate it, we the citizens have the ability to learn more and more about those who look to deceive and divide us. And I would urge all of us to be open to all perspectives 
And when the truth slaps you in the face, don't swat it away because you don't like it. As Kendrick Lamar once said, sit down and be humble, my friend. <laughs> the, the, real, the real quote, they are those in power who actively vote to change things to help themselves and their friends, not you. And when those people sell you bullshit about our military, you better be extra ready to hold their feet to the fire at the voting booth. This is America's birthday. We should remind ourselves of who is, tell, uh, who is telling us to pray while the devil sits on their shoulder. Let's cheer and support those who fight for this country and take down those who only claim to. That's what this song means to me. That's what these lyrics specifically mean to me. And while it, you can very easily say, oh, this kind of lives in the Iraq war, George W. Bush timeline, and it feels kind of dated. You know, like Jeremy, we're just talking about it. It might feel dated right now, but we're not far enough away from it to feel just really poignant over and over and over again, which is really depressing. You know, I'm going to use that as a segue in, in, into my take on this because I don't feel as though it's as far removed as somebody might criticize hmm. or argue because Defense Secretary Lord, I'm sorry, Defense Secretary Lloyd J. Austin III mm -hmm. was the one who recently convened our military brain trust under Biden's order to withdraw troops from Afghanistan. That happened this week. Mm -hmm. This is, is the same gentleman, okay, who, he's a re retired four-star army general who oversaw the American troop withdrawal from Iraq in 2011. So you start thinking about how all these things are related to each other. And if you go back to the 80s, when the United States was in that region fighting the Russians and, and, and really indirectly fighting the Russians, essentially in many ways contributing to what would ultimately become the rise of the Taliban. Mm -hmm. And so now here we are leaving General Austin Miller, one of the top U.S. commanders that we have and the top U.S. commander in Afghanistan. He was slated to remain in the country for a couple more weeks, almost as a, an effort to reassure the Afghan people as we're walking away from this as the Taliban begins to step up their offensive again. It just, I, I look at this region and how we keep inserting ourselves in there and we do whatever we do and then we leave. And then these people look at us and say, really, you're, you're leaving now? Like, do you see what's coming around the corner? And then suddenly it turns into another mess that ultimately impacts us. And then once it impacts us, only then do we decide to go in again mm. and intervene. And there's just something about, like you said, the, 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 the folks who make the decisions to take the credit for it. And they just don't necessarily always see the real dichotomy at play here. It's really easy. And I'm, I'm going to quote the, the lyric here to lay claim to the take that our soldiers safe. Mm -hmm. But the truth is already out there. So what, what, what's the truth? Was Afghanistan a success? Was Iraq a success? Was, uh, was Vietnam a success? I mean, what war since World War II can we truly say definitively was a success? The war on Christmas. <laughs> oh, boy. I kid because what, I mean, there's nothing positive I can say about that. It's well, that, depressing. Well, that's, we that's, that's my point. Of, Except, exceptionalism. Like, what have we actually accomplished? 
I, I, I honestly numbers. feel that it is a Contra, very debatable Nicaragua. Uh, the, I mean, I Venezuela. Mean, uh, I mean, how, yeah, how the, often do we want to insert ourselves? Our friends in Brazil know. Right. 50. I mean, I mean we, we have a lot of international listeners. I, how many of those of you listening right now who grew up in a foreign country, like what's your view of American imperialism or, or Amer- the American military machine or the Pentagon or our presence in foreign nations from 1950 on? I mean, I just think that it's a large conversation and it's it's complicated and there's there's a lot to discuss and I think that this song reminds us that these mm-hmm. conversations are still just as fresh today as they ever were. Uh, I, I mean, to sit here and say that any of the themes or ideas in the song are dated because of how they're related to Iraq. It, how was Afghanistan that much different than Iraq? <laughs> I mean, it, it, we, we're pulling out of there now. I mean, like, what are the repercussions of that? I mean, and it's where a, are we headed? Where America's are we headed to next? War, Paul. Exactly. It, it, you, we, you and I both know we're headed somewhere. After yeah. this, I don't know where these troops but, are not just going to come back here and hang out and, and and sit on the streets and not have a job. They're going to get this is a jobs program. Our military is a jobs program and we're going to put them somewhere to make some other asshole rich um, or use them as pawns to, you know, create some leverage with somebody else. Like it's not we're actually we're not actually solving any fucking problems. We're just creating problems. It's and, it's. I, I mean, I, I don't know what the answers do. are. Yeah, I mean, for yeah. it's it's just one of those things. It's a difficult conversation to have because the, there's a lot of competing interests. There's a lot of, of very, very passionate folks who have very, very definitive takes on where we are and why we should be there and, and, and what attitudes should prevail and so on and so on. But I do think that some of the ideas of this song and really it comes down to the credit. I mean, there's a great quote. I forget who said it now. Uh, he said, uh, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it, it's sad when you look at the way that politicians use war as almost like a, a record of achievement, mm. uh, whether it's the war on terror. I mean, it, so it, What's, well, isn't there a T-shirt that um, the far right likes to wear about like undefeated in world wars or something like that. Like, like like a record it's on the back of a t-shirt. I forget what it's, I forget exactly what it is, but like undefeated in world wars. Uh, I'm I'm out of, I I think it'd be really hard to prove that Vietnam was a success. Oh man. After I watched (laughs) Ken Burns' documentary, I was like, Nope, we definitely fucked that up. Like I I, I, I didn't (laughs) know enough from like my schooling back in the day to really have a good opinion on it. Cause I probably like glossed through it and I bet you the textbooks were shit. On the on the actual substance, when I actually watched the Ken Burns documentary, all ten hours, I was like, "God damn!" And then I spoke to my friend's uh, wife, um, you you know um, Melissa, who mm-hmm. is Vietnamese, uh, and her telling me the story about her dad escaping, like legit, like in in a camp for a year, escape and escaping that to Thailand and to America. Like hearing the anecdotal part of it to go along with what Ken put together. You you see what we were unable to accomplish trying to do what America tries to do too often. And by the way, let us not say that other countries don't pull a lot of this shit too. No, I mean, we're this not, is not. We are, we are not saints. We are not also only sinners. Everyone's no. got something, something negative and positive. Look, in you and I celebrated 4th of July because we Absolutely. love 
this country and, and we're, we're passionate about it and we take great pride in being Americans. But I think part of taking pride in being an American is asking yourself every day, what does it mean to be the best American possible? And what type of an America do we want to create for our exactly. children? And so it, it helps to kind of look back and learn from history. So they say the American dream is uh, called that because you have to be asleep to, uh, to view it. No, a little harsh, but I, I think the point of the the American dream, as it were, work hard and you'll achieve, you'll accomplish your your dreams, that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, but you know, the dream is what you make it. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want the dream of America to be this exceptional place, you've got to work to correct the problems that we have. Um, and and thankfully, there the institutions are in place to get it there. It's just there's a lot of obstacles, and some of them are our own citizenry. But anyway. Going to veer off topic a little bit if we keep going. Um, this song, hey, by the way, lead single off Avocado. Let's yeah. just start with a fluff song. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to our live gut of the week. Ready to stand up! In live cut, Paul, we are leaving this country and going to... Brisbane, Australia. Brisbane, Australia. Wow. Or is it Winter. Brisbane? Brisbane. Right. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure somebody, one of our listeners is going to correct. Let's go to Brisbane, Australia. Yeah, first he butchered Melbourne. Now he's Man, butchered. Man, Australians <laughs> hate you. <laughs> Justifiably so, probably. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me why. why. Why would this particular cut for you, what is it? Australia, it, it doesn't seem on the surface like a, like a, like a tough sell for me. But can you tell me a little bit why this one particularly? Gosh, I, I wish I had a really cool story behind, you know, the song and who was in attendance. I don't have any. Of that. I just think it's the best sounding cut I've ever heard of it. So I, I, you listen to it. It's crisp. It rocks. It hits the band. They were completely locked in for this performance for me. Uh, I think it, it captures everything to me that the song is about. And I think having a neutral setting like Australia actually helped. Uh, to some degree, I, I think it just allowed them to kind of use the song as a as a way to to kind of preach these ideas to a place that is not necessarily um, tethered to the baggage. You know what I mean? I mean, yep. it, it, you play this in D.C. Uh, sure, it might be charged, but it might be too charged. It, it might almost be t- uh, you know forced or preachy. There was something about this performance here that just felt natural, and uh, I, I I really like it. It's uh, I, I was hard pressed to find a better version of it. Continue to be hard pressed. Well, let's go to Brisbane, Australia, November tenth, two thousand six.
I like this version a lot. Um, I, I really enjoy the fun extended noisy opening jam. That was really, really cool. You know, the, with the Ed has the Ebo and he kind of mm-hmm. rakes it across his guitar strings a little, a little longer than usual. The guys kind of dance around that. You can tell that this song is being performed in front of a massive crowd. Yeah. I think when they generally play Australia it's worldwide, buddy, huh? <laughs> I hate you so much. When they play Australia, it's usually around the big day out festivals. Um, and so they'll play a festival or they'll play like Sydney three times in a row or they'll play like Rod Laver in Melbourne a few times. So you have really charged crowds. I haven't seen them in like five years, something like that. Well, the so 95, like, 96, was it was 90, 96, right? 95. 95. Thank There's you. Three shows. Yeah. Uh, the, they were outstanding. I mean, some, yeah. some of the best stuff they've ever yeah. done. So this, I agree. There's something about going out there. It just brings out the best in the band. But you brought up a good point before we played the song. And that was that, for me, there's an intriguing freedom of playing songs critical of America to a non-American audience. I think that is just so interesting. And it reminded me, it gave me the same vibes as when I watched them play um, Rival for the first time, by the way, um, at Pink Pop 2000. We chose that as actually the best version of mm-hmm. Rival when we did that song many, many episodes ago. But I got the same kind of vibe. Um and it's it's like they can be themselves without judgment or something to what you were saying. And I really do think it's interesting, you know, uh, when at the end of the song, Ed's kind of running out of steam by the last chorus. And you know what? I'm pretty fucking tired of the subject matter myself. <laughs> so it seems pretty apropos that Ed would run out of physical steam to sing the song. So, yeah. you know, you might not have, you might be like, it just, it just is. And I can say, you know what? You're right. And oh, by the way, there were some really cool p- parts of this performance that accentuate exactly why this is the right choice for live cut of worldwide suicide. Yeah. There you go. Happy uh, independence day. Happy 4th of July to our fellow Americans out there. We hope you love the country as much as you are critical of it, because if you just love something blindly, you're going to get bit. You gotta, you gotta work at it guys. Um, and if you can't see the best in something, you're going to get bit that way too. And if you you can't, and if you don't like something at its at its worst, you don't deserve it at its best, right? Isn't that how they? Oh god, I hate that <laughs> so much. I hate it so much. Oh god. Well, that's the show, gang. We will see you next week with another new episode, another interesting topic, main topic. And you know, we're coming very close to August, and you know, in August just might be a. Um, a month revolving around a certain album it might make sense to do that so uh as we inch closer to august we'll have some very cool stuff and then august will be uh a big blowout for a certain anniversary what would the anniversary be you will have to listen and find out next time (laughs) (laughs) as you listen how do i usually end this thing uh oh yeah you've been listening to and you've been listening to the state of love and trust God help us.